Two years after Oregonians voted to decriminalize street drugs like heroin and fentanyl and crack and meth and molly and ecstasy, and you get the message, and supposedly dedicated hundreds of millions of dollars to treatment, very few people have requested the services and the state has been glacially slow channeling the funds. Now, when voters passed the state's Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act in 2020, which many in the mainstream media call pioneering, the emphasis was on treatment and not so much on the decriminalization possession of personal use amounts of coke and meth and what have you. But Oregon, still two years later, now has the highest addiction rate in the country. We're number one. We're number one. Fatal overdoses have also increased 20% over the previous year, with over a 1,000 people dead. Over half of addiction treatment programs in the state say they lack capacity to meet demand because they don't have any funding, oh yeah, which the state was supposed to provide, and they don't have enough staffing. Now, this is according to testimony late last week in front of a uh, legislative committee. Supporters say, though, that they want more states to follow Oregon's lead because we've done such a fine job, saying decriminalization reduces the stigma of addiction and keeps people who use drugs from going to jail and being saddled with criminal records. So how Oregon is faring will probably be taken into account if another state considers decriminalizing, and they'll look at us and go, wow, they sure effed that up. Did I say that? So far, more than $302 million, though, has been sent to facilities to supposedly help get people off drugs or use them more safely. Oh, there's an interesting caveat that was not sold as part of the ballot measure. One expert told the lawmakers Oregon's effort is doomed unless people with addictions are pushed into treatment. Now, that is according to Keith Humphreys. He is an addiction researcher and professor at Stanford University and a former senior advisor in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. He said, and I'm quoting, if there is no formal or informal pressure on addicted people to seek treatment and recovery and thereby stop using drugs, you should continue to expect continuing high rates of drug use, addiction, and attendant harm. So attendant harm would be things like, oh, a thousand drug overdoses last year and increased crime and more people having mental meltdowns on our streets and more homelessness. So here's some raw numbers for you. Of 16,000 people who accessed services in the first year of decriminalization, 0.85%, 0.85% entered treatment, according to the Oregon Health Authority. A total of 60%, though, received what they call harm reduction. In other words, clean syringes and overdose meds. An additional 15% got housing, and 12% obtained what they say is peer support. Okay, that's a good thing. Under the law, people receive, of course, a citation with a maximum $100 fine, which they waive if you simply call a hotline for health assessment. But of more than 3,100 tickets issued so far, most have been ignored, and 
according to at least one report, not one single person through these phone calls signed up for treatment. Okay, now it's time for Rick to get real because he's sitting there in Quebec and things are important. And by the way, flannel season. It's flannel season. Well, I wasn't going to come on here, Bill, but it is flannel season and it is a Friday night and I don't normally have a show on Friday night. Um, May, I love your question. What are Cassie's pronouns? I highly recommend you watch this Joe Rogan episode 1874 because they talk about everything you and I have been talking about that we couldn't talk about for months. And so we get kicked off of the pages. But where are all those people now? who were making us, um, forcing people to, to get the, with the, the thing. Um, where are they now? Where, where's the apology? Where's the, I was wrong. Um, you know, uh, they, they, the, the best thing I learned out of this con, this, um, whole interview with Joe between Joe and this Dave Smith, um, was, you know, what I was bringing up all along the whole time. Why aren't we asking questions? What you should learn from the last two years is you need to question everything. And if something sounds wrong, it probably is. And if something feels like it's crowding into your freedom, it probably is. And if people would have asked more questions, a lot of the stuff we're going through, inflation, the price of everything, the housing crunch, the stock market crash, Um, You can't make money and not expect this to happen. But we let fear, we let them scare us. We believed Big Pharma. (laughs) Seriously? And who got rich? You know, Dr. F and um, and all those pharmacists, and not pharmacists, but Big Pharma. And we put the money in their pockets. So... When you remember the bumper sticker that said question everything, go back and look at that again and reread it and remember. Um, And if you want to come on here and scream at me, you go ahead. But you know what? You were wrong. Um, It didn't work. Um, And 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 even you know, and I expect things to not go wrong. Science isn't perfect, but the fact that you didn't even ask questions, shame on us. Shame on us. And May puts on here, question with boldness, boldness, a question that I quote from uh, Jefferson. Um, you know, so when, when they try to do these kind of things, you know, and that, what, what's irritating about it to me is we were all real careful in the beginning. And then when some of us started asking questions, what did some of you do to us? Um, you, you canceled us. You threw us under the bus. Even Facebook and, and social media things would threaten to shut us down. So you, um, if you had just listened to the questions or said, I totally disagree, fine. But what you did was you started calling us killers and you said we were, we were doing bad things to people and we, you, you, you made it up because we weren't. And the facts are out there to prove it. Look what happened to where, where we are right now. And we're all suffering for it, for not asking questions there. That's all I got. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. And um, a guy named Dick Morris, who wrote a book called The Return, um, about what he thinks is going to happen in 2024. Um, I'm going to be interviewing him on that day. And I don't know how much of that I can use right here. on. on um, I can put it on my website. 
Um, I might survive on YouTube. I don't think it'll survive on the others. So it'll probably be something that you'll have to go to my website to find. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll probably use some clips that feel safe and I'll put those on there. And then um, I can lead you over. And it doesn't cost you anything to be on my webpage. It's rick at rickdancer.com is my web. Just go in and subscribe. And then it lets you know when those things come up. And I'll air that whole thing um, on there and bits and pieces over here. But I think um, you know, I'm reading the book right now. My wife already read it. And I think you will get a kick out of it. But um, yeah, the whole world's turning. And seems that um, people shoving things down our, our throat and telling us we couldn't do that and we couldn't do this, perhaps now, um, next time, uh, yeah, like they'll listen. Um, this, is the, this is the problem with fear. This is the problem with fear. Um, was it serious? Yes, it was. But was there any reason to do the lockdowns and the passports and all that? No. And we're seeing that come out in facts and science. And if you don't see that and you're still buying the old bullshit, <laughs> There's not a lot I can do to help you. All right. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you guys on Monday. Good night.